0: Uh, We're continuing our second part in a series called uh, uh, Conversations. It's a series in prayer. And uh, the whole goal this summer that I feel like God wants to do with us, I feel like he wants us to have a special focus this summer, all of us, on growing in prayer growing in our ability to understand how God wants to interact with us. So I want to encourage you to do that. Last time we talked about praying first and we went through how Jesus taught us to pray. And how's that going? Is it is it going well as far as using that as an outline of Jesus' prayer? Or, or how many of you are actually using the pray first throughout the day and that, that phrase has come into your mind and it's making a difference in your prayer life? I hope it is uh and i just want to encourage you to continue to do that uh if you missed last last uh first the first message in this series 2 weeks ago i want to encourage you to go back and get it cuz it it will I think, be a great 38 minutes that you can spend breathing new life into your connection with God on that. Now, when you get on iTunes or, or you get on our website, it's going to show you 49 minutes. It's 38 minutes until you can say, and then you can decide whether you want to keep going because the last 11 minutes are just us practicing and uh, a closing prayer. But it will be a great 38 minutes for you to consider doing. As we continue our series today, I want to remind you of the core question. Our core question of this whole series is simply this. What would it look like if prayer became the most prominent aspect of everything we do. And as we jump today into looking at the whys, the why questions of prayer, uh, the, the way the Bible answers some of those why questions really gives us an amazing glimpse of how beautiful and powerful the answer can be to that question in our life. So our first of two main why questions that are going to guide our discussion today. The first one is, why pray? I mean, if God is all-powerful, if God knows everything, then what's the purpose of prayer? I mean, can't he just do it without us? Why pray? Why should we even do that? Ephesians 3 is an interesting passage. It highlights both explicitly and implicitly some major reasons. And we begin in verse 14, and it says this. Paul's saying, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. In other words, he's saying, I pray. I pray. Now, for what reason? I mean, he's saying for this reason. What's that reason? Well, the context of this passage is that the Ephesian church has been praying for Paul, who's been imprisoned unjustly for his faith, and he's not being freed. And they're becoming discouraged in their faith and discouraged in their prayer life, going, where's the answer to this prayer? And Paul's writing them from prison to encourage them, and he goes on and prays, and in so doing, highlights three reasons why we pray. And we'll talk about them, but let's look at the Scripture first. For this reason. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a great prayer that Paul prays to guide our time today. And in it, we find the first reason for why we pray. Uh, and it's actually a point that we made last time, so I'm just going to restate it really quickly, and then we're going to move on really fast. Prayer is about relationship with God. Uh, we use rela- this even this text uses relational terms it talks about father it talks about family it talks about we all belong together so that christ may dwell in your hearts that we may have this intimate level of heart level communication and constant relationship going on with him that's why we pray yes god has all the power and he knows all things but god has a core longing And we created in his image have that same core longing. And that core longing is for relationship. So why do we pray? It's because of relationship. But second, we also pray to connect this passage teaches us to connect us to the power for our own lives, the only power that can change us, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we all think we can change. We all think we can get along and do stuff well. But the Bible teaches that before we come to faith in Jesus, even before we're following him, God's Spirit is working in us to draw us to the good of life, to the way he created us to be, to the kindness, to the forgiveness he wants to offer to us. And when we accept and choose to receive God's kind offer of forgiveness and his relationship and go along with what he's saying and decide to follow him as our Lord, the Bible teaches us that we have the Holy Spirit, his very spirit given to us to live within us as close as anyone could ever be to us. And closer is the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting when we look at the New Testament and the Bible talking about the Holy Spirit because oftentimes the word power and spirit are put in the same phrase, and that's true of our text today as well. And it's interesting when we look back at the words, the the words, the Greek words from which they're translated, power is this word dunamis. It's the same word from which we get dynamite. And it's this idea that God has this incomprehensibly great power. He created everything. He's this amazing power. And then and then the word for spirit is actually a word called pneuma, and it's literally translated wind or breath. It's only translated wind in one place. We're going to look at that. Every other place, it's translated spirit. And the concept of this is that the Holy Spirit, God himself, breathes and speaks things into existence. He breathes the power of life into your situation wherever you're at. Now, it's interesting that this word and this idea of the Spirit is consistent between both Old and New Testament. The Old Testament word for it is ruach, and it also means wind or breath. So throughout the whole Bible, it means that. And we see first in Genesis this idea. Now, the very creation account, the very first few words of the Bible talk about God breathing these words that created everything that exists. And a a few short verses later, when he when he creates humankind, it talks about him breathing the power of life into humanity You see the spirit of God is the power that brings life to us and to everything. It gives us the power to change, to grow, to be transformed. It it gives us the power for our insecurities that constantly plague us to finally be settled when we learn to trust the Holy Spirit, and it causes us to trust God's love for us. And that's what Paul is saying in this text. Think about that for a moment. The breath of God. The very words and breath that created everything that exists, that created you and I, that unlimited power when we follow Jesus dwells within us. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? If we really understand that thought, how does it change our desire to pray and even the way we pray? I mean, words and ideas don't. Deeply alone changes. We can make all sorts of resolutions and goals and they alone do not deeply change us. And the Bible teaches us that alone by our own selves, we cannot deeply change our lives. It's the Spirit of God drawing us and inviting us and empowering us. Even before we acknowledge Him, the Bible says, the change, the positive change that comes in us is a result of His Spirit engaging us, trying to draw us to Him by His kindness, by His patience, by His, by His love to us, to empower change. I, I remember... A situation that for, the, for me illustrates this. It was a situation with tons of conflict and there were, in this instance, a lot of people in the room when this conflict was going on who actually had, it was the kind of conflict they had their phones out ready to call 9-1 when it, it was that type of conflict going on. <clears throat> and it was all directed against one person in the room and I remember watching and looking at this person, seeing them as they, as, as this group of people just ripped their character to shreds and, and were yelling and taking aggressive body posture to them and I remember watching the person, they were just calm were calm, peaceful. They were even jovial. And they just came back with just the most relaxed answers over and over again. And after it was all done, half the people in the room went up to him and said, I'm amazed that you could make it through that with that kind of a presence. And the person in talking with him later said, you know, they went home in that night and and they they kind of felt the emotion a little later and dealt with the emotion in a little bit different way because it became more real. But they said, in that moment, I had this sense of This presence, this unnatural, it wasn't like me. It was just something that was with me that empowered me. And see, I suspect many of us, maybe most of us, if we think back to our life, have probably had some of those same situations happen where we faced something really highly challenging. maybe it was a conflict, maybe it wasn't maybe it was maybe it was a devastating loss, or maybe it was this time period in your life when you had this uncommon level of stress and threat to your personal or financial security of, in your business or, or, or at home or whatever, or maybe maybe it was a time when there was an accident or maybe you had a child in the hospital, and it just was something that should have really tanked you. But in that moment, whether it was a few minutes or a few months of dealing with it, after you got through it, when you looked back, you thought, or somebody said about you in that moment, I don't know how you managed to cope with that the way you did, how you managed to have that sense of calm and clarity and presence, right? That's the Spirit of God coming to you in those moments in that moment to breathe life and strength into your situation. Why do we pray? It's because prayer causes us to commune with the very power of God that actually brought us life and continues to bring us life in all situations that we face. And the third reason why we pray is is related to that. It's that God chooses to place this unlimited power of this Holy Spirit in us and to a degree limits the release of that power by your prayer life. We've been talking about the Spirit as wind. But allow me to mix metaphors here for a moment because Jesus in John talks about the Spirit also as water. In John 7, he says this, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit. Rivers of living water flowing out of us to bring life to people around us. I don't know about you, but that concept of that role of the Holy Spirit in prayer in my life really motivates me. I mean, if I have to pray for 10 people or 20 people or 200 or 500, it doesn't matter. I want to pray when I have that kind of motivation because God's going to show up and and I'm going to get to see a miracle and see something happen in that time. And hopefully as we learn to sense the Holy Spirit and learn this thing of called prayer and this relationship with God, we, our odds of seeing miracles and healing and things like that increase because we We sense him better, but, but it's worth it to be involved in this endeavor to pray. We also see the Spirit flowing out of us toward others in the Ephesians passage we looked at just a minute ago as well. It says, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is working within us, and then it goes on and says, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout what? Throughout all generations. What's that? What that's telling us is this Holy Spirit power that He puts within us is intended to move outward to Infect our entire generation through us. If it's going to affect all the generations, it's got to affect ours. And it's got to be this outward thing to affect our community. Learning to interact with God in prayer is our learning to release the power of God placed within us to flow outward for the benefit of the people around us. I mean, notice As well, in Jesus' passage, when he talks about the rivers of living water flowing out of us towards others, and in this Ephesian passage, both when Paul turns us outward, the pronouns change. They're no longer you, but they're we. They're us together. They're who we are as a people, as a church, praying together is the greatest measure of the sense of power and prayer and the Holy Spirit being released. See, the first few verses of that Ephesians passage are all about you, aren't they? They talk about, so you will have the power in you. So you will know and trust God's love for you so that you will become solid in your connection with God and who He is. But it doesn't stop there. It moves on because the work of the Holy Spirit in us has a purpose beyond who we are, to do immeasurably more, to allow the rivers of living water, even if you feel like, oh, my river's just a little trickle, my little river is just a little stream. I mean, lots of them put together, they form the Ohio River, they form the Mississippi River, and they are huge and powerful and big when we form our prayer together. Even if you are small, just do it together. Pray first. Pray first. That habit creates this momentum as we all do it together to allow this rapidly rising water and power of the Spirit to continue to increase in us to do what? To do what? The text says, immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I know some of you, some of you can imagine an awful lot. I know I can imagine an awful lot. But the text says, immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine is what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us when we learn this prayer thing of communion with Him and releasing the power. How, when we really understand that, how is that going to change the way we think about prayer and are releasing that immeasurably more? See, praying first helps us release that power of God into every situation, whether it's work, family, home, or when we're just alone alone. Next week we're going to talk more about that idea of power when we talk more about how we pray and and how that might affect the way we pray. But for today, let me just leave it here. The choice is ours. The choice is ours. We can live from our own human power or we can tap into this unlimited power that God has placed within us and release that as rivers of living water flowing out of us to bless other people and do amazing things that you can't, I can't imagine yet or even ask for because we don't even know how to ask for it. So why pray? We pray because of relationship. And we pray to get in touch with the power of the Holy Spirit within us and how he wants to bring change and convince us of his love and his kindness and his goodness. And we pray to release that unlimited power to be a blessing to people around us as well. So but some of you might be thinking, okay, that, that's all well and good, Ross. I, I get that. I understand that. But I prayed and my mom still died of cancer. I prayed and my family still fell apart. I prayed and even tithe my money, giving 10% to the church, but I'm still struggling with tight finances. I know why I should pray, but, and here's the second major why question that comes up when we talk about prayer, why does God sometimes not answer prayers? Or why does it at least seem like he's not answering prayers? What's up with that? What's going on? What's God doing in that? How am I supposed to respond in that space when I'm in my relationship with God? Well, we're going to talk about a number of ways uh, that God speaks to that concept of unanswered prayer or prayers that we don't understand the answer to yet. The first one is this. Praying sometimes doesn't seem to be answered because we pray with wrong motives or wrong goals in our mind. There's a day I remember well as, parent, as a parent. I was parenting a t- that was back when one of my kids was a toddler. It was a day that I was playing out in the front yard and it seemed like I spent 60 minutes running everywhere to block them from getting in the road, trying to constantly say no and redirect them. I don't know what it is about toddlers, they just think the road's more fun to play in than the grass. And so I, I was exhausted, it was fun, it was great, but it was like an intense, fun day of trying to train a dog for an invisible fence, minus the shock collar. I, I thought about the shock collar, but I didn't do it. Hey, you're laughing because many of you thought about that too, right? I was just trying to teach them to teach them, teach them to respect a boundary, to redirect them and teach them that the yard is safe and the street's not safe. And honestly, that's the way God deals with us sometimes in unanswered prayers. It's this silent no or sometimes the no we don't want to hear that he's saying to us and he's, he's jumping our way trying to keep us from something that looks good but isn't good or isn't best for us. And even if we cry out as a toddler and just complain as a toddler, he's still there protecting us. So the question is, how can we get out of that toddler phase and how can we respond better when that's happening in our life? And, and it's simply this, by pressing in and listening to the Holy Spirit more. It, it, asking questions. We talked about prayer is as much asking questions as it is asking for things, right? And so we start asking God questions. Is there another plan? Or, God, can you show me my heart in this? And we try to connect with him and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come to us, like the Ephesian passage even talks about, so that we can grasp, so that we can understand, so that we can grab hold of the good, the pure motives, the best goals for our life and for the life of people around us. James 4 even puts it very explicitly. It says this. It says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So, be real with me for just a moment here. How many of you have ever prayed at least one time, even if it was just a flippant prayer, God help me win the Powerball and the Mega Millions? Or, God, help me make the penny stock pick of the century where I can take $500 and turn it into millions. I mean, come on. Everybody's prayed that, right, at some point in their life. And we've always been, in that moment, we've always been swearing, I'll, I'll be more generous than everybody else. I'll give a lot to the church. And Proverbs 16:2 says this. It says, all a person's ways seem pure to them. You see, we tend to always think we're asking and wanting what is right and good. We believe that what we want, what makes us feel good, what we think will lead us to the desired end that we want is right. And we all too easily confuse our wants with God's voice. And believe our wants are God speaking to us even. Right? It's easy for us to fall into. But the verse goes on and says this. But motives are weighed by the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for things that I thought were good and right for God to get me into an opportunity or get me out of a job to a better one or for God to set the record straight when I felt like I was dealt with unfairly or, or to provide me more money or a better car or whatever it was, and God didn't answer. And most of those situations, because of God's grace and f- preventing me and my bullheadedness from just going and acting and moving on, it got me to the place where I usually ended up realizing my motives were wrong or my goal was not best and what God had wanted to have for my life. You see, we all so often believe that what we want is what we need and therefore also what God wants. All the while, God has something better in mind for us than we can imagine or think at that moment. 1 John 5 even puts that into words with this amazing promise. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Isn't that an amazing promise? God is often shaping our wants, our will, our goals, our motives through not yet answering or through us not recognizing yet how he is answering because we don't want to hear it all the while setting us up for something much better if we'll have the patience to walk it through with God instead of just getting angry and doing something. Because isn't it true when we when we face this moment where we feel like God's not answering our prayer, especially when we prayed a long time, that we so easily go to the shame cycle thing like Wendy talked about a few weeks ago when she was up here. We go to the shame place where we just get angry and we just want to do something. So we just act because we just want to do something, Right? Instead, God is inviting us in those times to, to sit back for a minute and get curious. To just start asking Him again. What is up, God? What's going on? What am I not seeing or not hearing right? What are, what are you doing in me or the situation? Or it may not even be with me or the situation. It may be what are you doing with the people associated with this answer that needs to still happen before you're ready to answer this question. Sometimes as well, God seems to not answer questions when When it's about a struggle between god's timing and our timing in life, right? And this is very related to the last one, but we see this so much in the Bible. We see it in King Saul's life. I mean, his fall from grace has a lot to do with his lack of trust of God's timing and in pushing beyond God's timing. Abraham, we see it in his life, waiting 90 years for a promise. And in Jesus, we see it in a lot of places. But one place we see it in particular is in John 11. Jesus receives word from a messenger that his close friend, Lazarus, is sick and dying. And you remember the story? What does Jesus do? He waits. He waits. Two days. And his disciples get into that unanswered prayer, kind of shame cycle and demanding cycle, and they start challenging Jesus saying, why are we not going? I mean, he's your bud, Jesus. Why are we not going? Let's get on the road. Let's go. T- we can take care of this. But when you read that whole story in context, both what Jesus did and said uh, throughout and towards the end, we could paraphrase it this way. Jesus' answer to us is, I'm waiting so as to provide an opportunity to strengthen your faith and strengthen other people's faith by making the timing and circumstances even more ripe for God to receive glory. Even in this interaction, we see this thing, this anger and this pessimism on his disciples. Until they see the answer, then they go, wow, God, this is better than I imagined it could be. And we learn from that. So God is often shaping our curiosity and our perseverance by by these times when we feel like he's silent in his answers about what he's going to do and when he's going to do it and how he's going to do it. There's another illustration, I think, that, that points this out really powerfully for us that's very close to many of us here, or we'll know about it at least. We support WARM, Westerville Area Resource Ministry, a lot, right? We do all sorts of things. We support them out of our regular missions budget. We do a 5K forum. We do a lunch club in the summers helping feed kids. And we, we do the garden project trying to create produce and, and raising money as well for people in need. And, and Scott Marrier is uh, uh, one of our elder board members here, and he's also the executive director of WARM. And... They relocated about a year ago to a new facility. But I remember a number of years ago talking with Scott, and he was talking about the fact they'd grown from $250,000 a year to over a million dollars a year in services to those in need through the feeding and jobs program and, and the lunch clubs and all the stuff that they do, the financial counseling they do. They just had grown like crazy, but they were stuck in this 6,000-square-foot facility. And they just frankly, had outgrown it. And they kept stacking things to the ceiling, trying to figure out how to use every nook and cranny to to make it work. And he knew they needed a new facility. He knew God was speaking to him about getting in a new facility. And his board and he got together and said, well, we need at least 12,000 to 20,000 square feet. And I remember sitting with him a number of times over this time period at lunch with him, talking about all the ups and downs of facility options coming and going and nothing working out. All the time, Poverty is, needs of poverty are still increasing and the ministry's demands are just increasing like crazy. And and Scott managed the up and downs pretty well most of the time. Most of the time, he'd sit across the table from me, he'd look me in the eye, and I'd hear him talk to other people and he'd say, God's timing is perfect. I mean, there were times when he was wondering because... This should have happened. I mean, they had, the need was huge. It should have happened much, much earlier in everybody's mind, right? But in the end, they found this walk-in-ready facility for the, about the price they wanted, and instead of 12,000 or 20,000, it was 42,000 square feet. mean, God had bigger plans, a different plan, and different timing, and it was good. And the amazing thing is they've been in that facility now for a year, and all the goals that the board and the executive team set to fulfill in three years have been fulfilled in one. So they're back to the drawing table going, God obviously has a bigger plan, so we need to look at this again, right? It's so easy for us to trade our 12,000, take our 12,000 square foot dreams and trade off the 42,000 square foot ones God wants to bring. On the sad side of this though, sometimes I've watched healings take longer than they should and people suffer longer. And I've also seen God do good things in the people's lives through those sad circumstances. And I've watched people suffering longer and taking longer to die in a really painful way than they wanted to and everybody else thought they should too. And I've also seen God do amazing things in the family and the friends and the caregivers through those times. And we have this choice in prayer when things take too long to be answered. Are we going to become bitter and angry Or are we going to turn to God and connect with what the Spirit of God is doing in that moment? You see, the reality is sometimes we'll never know why things took longer or why things weren't answered in the way we wanted ever. There's Sometimes we won't know that. There's other times that we'll actually discover this beautiful story of faith in the timing being delayed that God has and that's a result of that difficult timing. Or we may run into God's 42,000-square-foot dream instead of our 12,000-square-foot dream for our family, for our job, or for our kids by that timing being different. But God, through this whole thing, is developing in us and wanting us to respond with a growth in this depth of peace and patience that allows us to have this flourishing, life-giving strength even in the midst, this vibrancy even in the midst of the difficult and foggy times of life. Other times, yet God, a prayer is not being answered because of sin in our lives. And God is inviting us to surrender to His Lordship and surrender to His definition of what is right and good and best. Now, the Scriptures say this all over the place, but there's one Scripture in Psalm 66 that I think says it uh, most fully and most succinctly in two verses. It says this, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, that's an easy one to misapply. Because I'll bet the first thought that comes into many of our minds is, we're all damned. I mean, we all sin, so we're, why would we ever pray because God's never going to hear a single prayer we make, right? Uh, but that's not the point that this point is trying to make, nor is that the point the Scripture is trying to say. The fact of the matter is, God, in our imperfection and in our sinful state, still hears us, still listens to our prayers, and still answers our prayers. If he didn't, we'd never have a prayer answered in the world. But there is a time, there is a time when sin gets in the way of our prayers being answered or in the way of our seemingly silent no that we're getting from God. See, sometimes our motives and our goals are unknowingly sinful. Uh, We're simply unaware that they're wrong. They're still sinful technically, but we don't know that they're sinful. And other times we know our motives and we know our goals are sinful in life. And what this text is teaching us is that when we cherish Sin, when we see sin and we nurture it, when we repeatedly ignore over the course of many t- attempts of the Holy Spirit to bring us to conviction of what is right, to convince us of what is right, and we continue to ignore that, then we're ignoring our relationship with God. See, the God, God is speaking to us about the sin, and we're ignoring it. God is saying, I want you to pay attention to this danger while well, we're asking for something else and he's not answering on this other until we pay attention to not going out in the street and staying on the yard instead. And we show more regard for the sin than for God. We turn our back on the best coach we could ever have and it becomes a lordship issue. It becomes a relational lordship issue. The question is, God really lord of our lives or are we lord? master and judge of what is right. And when it becomes that issue, it can get in the way of our prayers. When we can cherish something, we, we can cherish lots of things, can't we? We can cherish money. We can cherish a form of entertainment. We can cherish our freedom of expression. We can cherish a dream. We can cherish a relationship. We can cherish almost anything, right? And we can live in knowing disobedience to God. And when we cherish or love something, we can come up even with the craziest reasons why it's good and right, can't we? I mean, all we have to do is look at junior high love to understand the craziest reasons that we can come up with to justify love. Sometimes we can even cherish bitterness. I remember a time in my life it was particularly difficult, where I was cherishing bitterness. And it was just this place where there had been just some awful, horrible, behind-the-scenes, stabs-in-your-back things going on. And and I felt like I was right and they were wrong, and I mostly was, at least I think I was. You know, it doesn't really matter if I was or not. But the point is, my prayers seemed to bounce off the sky and bury themselves in the dirt until I brought myself to soften my heart and, and repent to God and give forgiveness and walk out giving mercy to people who had treated me poorly. I cherished bitterness and it got in the way of my sin, of my prayer. Sin that we know is sin, that we do not confess, that we do not turn from, that we repeatedly cherish and justify and make excuses for becomes a relational barrier. James says it most, most uh, talks about this, and we've quoted this passage a number of times, and I think I keep bringing it back up and others keep bringing it back up when we're talking because this is so important This is so important for us to understand and get this habit that this verse talks about in our lives. It says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We don't get healing until we do this piece well. And then it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We need others to help us discern, to help us navigate forgiveness and being free of sin. And sin is anything. Sin is anything that damages your relationship with God, damages your relationship with others, damages ourselves or damages creation where we're not good stewards of creation. And confession of sin is the way we close the door on that sin. We close the door on the enemy's involvement in that sin, and it leads to us creating an environment in our life where we can be restored, where healing can and does happen. It's like this this piece of the pie is the cleaning of the wound and and dressing the wound so that it can even begin to heal and give that opportunity to us. And then it goes on. It says a righteous person's prayer is powerful. And it's not righteous because we're perfect. We're not perfect. It's righteous because we're made righteous by Jesus' forgiveness. We, we, we remain in this continually responsive place to our guilt that the Holy Spirit convicts us of that's real. And we don't go to the place of condemnation that keeps us turning away from God. But instead, we turn directly to God and we ask for forgiveness and we receive the forgiveness and we move on in the healing power of the Holy Spirit. We continually remain responsive to that cycle in our lives. And yet there's still other times that prayer is honestly not answered because we live in this in-between time where the kingdom of God is breaking in, but it's not fully manifest yet. The Bible teaches that Jesus did everything, won all the battles, did everything when he went on the cross and and rose from the dead. But for whatever reason, he's chosen not to finish setting everything right. He wants more people to be saved and more people to know him. And until he comes back a second time, we live in this in-between time where everything's won, but it's not all 100% set right yet. So we pray for healing and we see a person die. And then we go to the funeral and we say things like, it's better for them to be with the Lord than it is to be in this body. And yet we still struggle, don't we? Why do we still struggle? Well, I'd submit to you that we struggle because we're facing a legitimate sense of what is truly God's intention, what is innately right and good. We know... Death is not right. We know sickness and disease are not right. We know social rejection and depression and psychological ailments are not right. We know identity issues in whatever form they come are not right. They are not God's intended best for us. See, sin came into the world. It corrupted all of creation. It corrupted our spirits, it corrupted our genetics, it corrupted our ecosystem, it corrupts our relationships and brings damage to all those things. And the purpose of prayer in those times when we're stuck in this now and not yet, trying to figure it out when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen before we die or before Jesus comes back, prayer is this process of finding God's best for us emotionally, spiritually, and physically for us to navigate those struggles that we face in life. I think Romans 8.10 says it really, really well. It says this, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, he's talking about this in-between struggle, this now and that's not yet struggle. Even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Paul is contrasting, even though pointing to this reality of the in-between time, and he's saying when prayer is not being answered and suffering and pain continues, Pressing into prayer is where we ultimately find the communion with the Holy Spirit and the courage and strength to live life well in all circumstances at all times. And finally, sometimes I think prayer is not answered in the way we think it should or in the time or, the, or, in the, or whatever because God is simply unpredictable and exciting in His nature. He's unpredictable and exciting, uh, which is the purpose of it for him, I think, is to develop this abandoned trust in him. Now John 3 uh, uses this wind metaphor, and this is the place where the word for spirit is translated literally as wind, the only time in the New Testament. And it says this in verse 6. It says, flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, we can do a lot on our own, and we, create, and we can create something that will, in the end, lose energy and die. And it goes on and says, but spirit, when we learn to have this communion and work with the spirit, work with the wind of the spirit, he gives birth to spirit. We can learn to be empowered by this unlimited power of the divine presence. And then Jesus goes on and says this, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind, which is the same word for spirit, blows wherever it feels, pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Again, the same word for wind right there as well. It's this sense of unpredictability, the wind, this thing that we can experience, we can know, but we can't control, we can't predict, we don't fully understand. And other than we see its effects, we can't see it other than we can see its effects, right? But we still know it's real nonetheless. And that's who God is to us. He's this surprising, unpredictable, beautiful power that is constantly good, but still unpredictable as to how and when he will do things. See, oftentimes the reality is God does his best work through that which seems anything but predictable and right. And we know that because all we have to do is look at Jesus, like Jesus paying for our sin and conquering death by dying. Why would that make sense? Or, or we see God fully satisfying pure justice so that he can be a completely just God by having Jesus take the full brunt of everyone's guilt on himself so that he can also, on the other hand, be extravagantly merciful and offer complete forgiveness to everyone, even if you can't live up to the bar of performance that the law says. If we just accept him as our Lord, God saves us completely, surprisingly, Beautifully, in a profound way. And isn't it kind of funny? Um, Many of us ask for life to be exciting and surprising and spontaneous. But when it comes to God, we get caught up in demanding predictability and control in answering our prayers. Kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, for me, when I find that happening in myself, it usually goes back to this place of selfishness in me that wants God to be my Coke machine. I put in X. I pray the right prayer and I get out why. I get out what I want, when I want it, exactly when I want it, in the way I want it. And God says his ways, he describes himself saying, my ways are higher Than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and in Ephesians we see God saying I want to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or think. He is surprising. He is exciting. He is adventuresome and He wants us to be on that adventure with Him and to experience that aspect of life with Him. If we can learn in prayer to be like this kite or this sail that just leans back into the wind and catches the wind whichever way it's going and just learn to relax in life and follow the life of the Spirit we can live in this surprisingly powerful life, this this life of anticipation of God showing up in the most interesting and profound ways, answering prayers and bringing healing and bringing provision and, and bringing words and relationships and conversations that we can't imagine happening that bring His goodness in all of life, like the wind. And the invitation this summer is, will we take this summer to be even more focused on engaging this spontaneous, this creative, this exciting life with God in prayer? Will we pray first? Will we develop this solid, constant habit of responsiveness to the movement of the Spirit of God in our work, in our family, in our friendships, and when we're alone? Will we learn to sense His wind and follow Him? Come on, Dusty and team. Living with anticipation that you will sense the wind and the Spirit and be caught up in moving God's spir- moving with God's Spirit, seeing, how much again? Immeasurably more than all we could ask or think. I want to invite you just a moment to, to pause and maybe close your eyes if you're easily distracted. You don't have to close your eyes, but if you're easily distracted, just close it for your own personal focus. And I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit, who's here with us right now, Where specifically are you speaking to me in this message? Where am I getting caught up in these whys and using these whys as as an excuse to disengage prayer? And how do you want to invite me back into that sense of your spirit leading me? I'm just going to give you a second to think about that. Lord I just on behalf of all of us I invite the presence of your Holy Spirit that is already with us Lord I ask that you would boil up in us and that you would, you would become those rivers of living water that we haven't learned to release that we haven't learned to follow that you would become and help each one of us put our arms out wide and to sense in the surrendered prayer place uh, uh, your spirit's direction each moment of each day that we would rest in the power of your Spirit and learn the amazing power that that is. Come blow on us, Lord. Let us know your wind. Let us know your presence. Teach us, Lord, to have prayerful communion with you, to know who you are and who you want to be. And, Lord, would you continue to make us into a group of people who, when we pray together, it becomes this mighty, rapidly rising wind, water of your Spirit flowing out to bring good, to bring life, to bring healing, to bring cleansing to our entire community. The Lord, our generation, would be affected by you through us. So come, Holy Spirit. And, Lord, as we continue to worship now, I pray that you would guide our thoughts with these songs with the words that you'd guide our hearts that you'd come and interact with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's Sermon Audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GotoQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.